Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. I thank you for your great love with which you have loved us. I thank you for uh, the, the many women that you have blessed us with in our lives, Lord. Biological mothers that gave birth to us, adoptive mothers who, who have helped raise us and make us the people we are, mentors who have acted in motherly ways to, to, to encourage us, to support us, to love us, to comfort us. God, we, we bless your name, and we thank you for the gift that you have given us, understanding that every good gift is from the Father of lights with whom there is no turning. So God, we thank you. We bless your name. We pray that you would bless those women in our midst, that you would comfort those that need comfort, that you would encourage those that need encouraged, that you would strengthen each of them by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, and that you would give all of us eyes to see the ways that we can, each of us, act in more gracious and loving, and I would say even motherly ways, toward those in our lives. God, speak to us in these moments, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have a quick video we want to show as we get things started this morning, so go ahead and watch the screen. Is it ready, Nathan? No. Okay, never mind. We're going to leave it, Nathan. We're good. So you may think to yourself, why, why do we have this motorcycle theme? Why are we talking about mothers of thunder? And it kind of came together. The, the idea for the sermon was there, and Aaron kind of coalesced it in my mind as we, we talked about it. As I, I think about motherhood and parenthood in general, I think we would all agree that raising babies ain't for the faint of heart. It is. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of difficulty that, that goes into it, and, and I, I'm going to tell you, th some of the most hardcore people that I know in my life are mothers. I remember, actually this last weekend, I was on an airplane, and there was a lady with a baby sitting a few rows in front of, you, front of me. And mind you, we are just in the post-COVID era, right? They just stopped wearing masks on the airplane. Airplanes are not notoriously clean places. I know they work on it, but, like, people are dirty, and we're in closed, contained areas. And I watched this baby drop its pacifier out of its mouth onto the walkway of the aisle of the airplane. You know what that mama did? That's exactly right. I knew you would know. <laughs> that mama picked that thing up and was just like, looked me straight in the eye and was like, put that thing right back in her baby's mouth. That is hard right there, right? We, I remember when, when we, we had our, our children were, were, were little and, and we would have to heat up a bottle, right? And, and we would, so we'd, we'd heat up the milk that consequently, like, the, the mother produced, which is crazy. And, and she would heat it up and she would take that bottle and she would, like, test it on her skin to see if it was too hot. So one day I was like, well... Good for the goose, good for the gander, right? So I'm testing it, and I, I burnt the tar out of my wrist. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Testing that hot liquid on, like, molten milk on their, on their wrists and their body. Baby falls down, gets a boo-boo. Like, baby doesn't really want a Band-Aid. What do they want? They want mama to kiss that thing. Like, are you kidding me? That's nasty. Go wash that thing off. Find you some. That's why dads say, just put some dirt in it, because I ain't touching it, right? That's... Between you and Jesus, if you get infected and die, that's what the Lord wanted from you. I'm sorry, nothing I can do for you. I am convinced that there is no person stronger than a mother carrying the necessary items 
for a day trip to the grandparents' house. See a lot of head nods right there. You can amen that one, right? Like, I, I don't even know how the geometry and the physics of that works. But Robin is not a big lady, and I've watched her carry like eight times her body mass into a house in one trip. That is hardcore. I, I, I hate to even contemplate the amount of bodily waste mothers deal with in the time raising children. And that's just a taste of the first few years of life. Mothers, whether biological, adopted, or by proxy, we thank God for you and we bless you. We recognize the strength and the grace and the incredible difficult, incredibly difficult balancing act it takes to do all that you do. We thank you and we thank God for you. Motherhood is a heavy responsibility. And I would submit to you that it's a load that mothers should not have to carry on their own. As the old saying goes, it takes a village to raise a child. And we, the church family, have a part to play as we help mothers raise the children that are in our care. We need to be in partner with mothers of thunder. Mothers who seek to raise godly and Christ-like children. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, mothers of thunder, where in the world is he getting that from? I'm glad you asked. Open with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, and we are going to start in verse 20. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. says this, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, oh, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There are several things, and, and, and it would be easy for us to read over the beginning of, of what happens in this passage. But I'm, I'm doing a little bit of math. I feel bad for, for Mrs. Zebedee's, right? Because she's just, she's it's the mother of Zebedee's son. It's like, that's, his, that's the dad's first name, Zebedee. And so she's not, she's Zebedee's kid's mama, right? That's unfortunate. So I want to give her a name this morning. And, and I, I think that the, these sons, being who they are, 
You know, I'm a mama's boy, so we'll, 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 we'll assume that she's still around and she's walking with them with Jesus. So she's, she's taking care of her children and she does some important things in here. But her sons are going to gain a nickname we're going to look, look at here in a minute. And they are known as the Sons of Thunder. And I think if you have a Son of Thunder, anytime you have a Son of Thunder, there's a mama of thunder that's got to follow behind and keep them in line. And I think we need mothers of thunder, bold, passionate, forward-thinking mothers who are willing to speak truth into our lives and do these important things to bring us to Jesus. And that is the first thing that I see in this passage with this happening with Mrs. Thunder. First encouragement this morning or challenge to us, imperative even, I would say, is this. We must lead our children to Jesus. Of first importance to us needs to be to lead our children to Jesus. Now the road from childhood to adulthood will always bring its share of bumps, bruises, and bends. Will it not? And I'm not just talking about for the babies. I'm talking about for the parents as well. It's not an easy road. And some of us do in fact have it a little bit more difficult than others. In this passage, we see one of those instances. In Mark chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, we, we see a list of, of this hodgepodge, very eclectic, interesting group of misfits that Jesus brings together to serve as his disciples. Jesus didn't go and look for the valedictorians and the salutatorians of all of the classes. He didn't go look for the upper crust people who were raised well, that knew how to behave themselves when they were traveling. Jesus found people that were on the margins, people that were pushed to the side, people that were seen as less than or unworthy, people that were, quite frankly, challenging. I want to look at Mark 3. It says this, as Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to them those whom he wanted and they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. Note from the beginning that these people that Jesus is bringing, he is bringing on intentionally to be his representatives. I mean, for most of us, we'd want the best possible, we want, we want resumes and we want the best possible candidates to make us look as good as possible. It makes it clear here, Jesus is bringing these along to train them up, to send them out, to be his advocates, his representatives. It says this, these are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges. Say that with me. Boanerges. Just sounds harsh. Boanerges, right? Which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, I just want to draw some attention to a few of these quality people that Jesus brought along with him to be his representatives. You, of course, have Simon Peter. And we know of him as Peter the Rock, on whom Jesus will build his church. But if you look at P Peter, Peter is anything but solid throughout his life. That man is more like the storm he sank in than the rock after which he was named. He rose and fell with the tides of what was going on around him. You know why he probably was named Peter? 
Because that dude had a hard head. He was stubborn. And Peter was going to do it his way and in his time. I mean, even when Jesus restores him, Peter, Peter doesn't just accept that restoration, right? Peter looks at John and he says, well, what about him, Jesus? Does he get this rough treatment too? Like, hold up, dude. Like, you were denying me yesterday. You're lucky that I don't kick you out. Like, what do you mean, what am I doing with him? You worry about you, buddy. Peter, the rock. You have Matthew, and it doesn't clarify in this text, but we know that Matthew was a tax collector. Like, that was the dirtiest of sinners in the time. A political traitor. A government-approved thief who got wealthy on the backs of honest, hardworking citizens, his brothers and sisters. A collaborator with the enemy of God, the Roman Empire. You get towards the end and you have a con contrasting individual. Not only do you have an insider collaborating with the governor, but you have a government, but you have a terrorist working against the government. Simon the Zealot. Understand that that was a political action group that was through violence and subversion seeking to overthrow the Roman government. Simon the Zealot, a political extremist considered by many historians to be a terrorist. Then you have the coup de grace, Judas Iscariot. I don't even need to explain, but it does for our benefit, the disciple who betrayed Jesus. Self-explanatory. But in the middle there, actually towards the beginning, you have two names. James and John, whom the texts tell us that Jesus himself gave the name Boanerges, Sons of Thunder. Now, we have all seen and met kids like this. There are some in the church today. Unless, yeah, unless, that, I just saw some parents go. <laughs> unless we get too arrogant, some of us in this room, I'm not going to point any fingers, we're sons and daughters of thunder. We know who those kids are, don't we? Kids with too much energy who cannot or at times will not sit still. Kids who have to touch, taste, and smell literally everything. Kids whose mouths turn on, but never off. Kids who, quote, we can't take anywhere. Because they are walking, talking balls of destruction. They, they are the living representation of Miley Cyrus's song. I came in like a wrecking ball. And that, that's what we see, that's, that's what was true of, of these sons of Boanerges. We know these kids, they are walking, talking tornadoes. They make us want to pull our hair out. They, they cause us to age maybe just a little bit more quickly. But they also make life extremely interesting. Now, I, 
You may be sitting there and say, well, this sermon doesn't apply to me. I assure you that it does. I may not have hit your precious cherub's issue. I know. (laughs) I may not have hit your precious cherub's issue. But you, me, and Jesus, if we're honest, know that there is no such thing as the perfect child. (laughs) I appreciate that. They all have their issues, don't they? They all have their issues, even the best of the best of us. I mean, I, I know that we talk, we don't, you may not believe me, but I really was the good kid in my family. And even I had the moment where my mom crossed the line with me, and I crossed the line with her. I threw my car keys at her. And I was like, fine, do whatever you want, and got in a car and rode off with someone else. Well, that was dumb on my part. I didn't have a car for six weeks after that. <laughs> even, even the very best of us, at times, the worst comes out of us. There's the potential for a demon in every angel. And we know this to be true. The sons of thunder were those kids in Jesus' youth group. And why do I say that? Why, why, why did Jesus give them this name? Am I just disparaging these poor disciples? First of all, you need to understand something, that most of the people that were in Jesus' entourage were, in fact, youth. They were young people. In Jesus' time, and even when you go to the the East now, if you are under 30, when, when the Indian folks talk to me about organizing a youth event, they are not talking about 6th through 8th grade. They are talking about people ages 18 or 20 to 40. That's a youth group for them. And in in the ancient Near East, until you were 30, you were not considered a full adult. So what would happen is a rabbi would collect a youth group to travel with him so that he could train them up in the way that they should go. I know some of you parents are like, man, how do I sign up for that? You going to take them for the next three years? Yes. Yes, Lord. I'm, I'm down. The sons of thunder thunder were those those kids they they the the sons of thunder james and john are actually believed to be the two youngest two of the youngest in jesus's group peter being the oldest because he was the one that they had to pay a temple tax for but these are believed to be two of the youngest and these two redlined all the time and i'll be honest i can relate to these boys i have had this thought in luke 9 chapter Luke 9, 51 through 55, we see this instance with the sons of thunder. It says, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into Samaria, a Samaritan village, to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Well... When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked the Lord, uh, Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went on to another village. Now, we like to focus on the fact that Jesus is moving and resolutely going towards Jerusalem. It's easy for us to lose this in this because Jesus is going to crucifixion. He knows this is going on. But this is a great instance. They walk up, and this town refuses to roll out the red carpet for Jesus. And he's like, they're like, hey, Jesus, like we got to do something like this. They can't disrespect you like this. How about this? 
How about we call down fire from heaven? And by the way, Lord, you want us to do it? We will do it. I will do it, Lord. Can I do it? Let me pull the trigger. I want to roast some fools. Right? Like, that, that is that kid, right? Like, fire from heaven. This is our moment, James. Jesus, please. And Jesus like, boys, slow, slow down. Hey, what I'm about. I, I've youth pastor 17 years. These kids exist. Right? Like, I've had that discussion with a kid. Like, don't you think that this is like, like, Jesus should just destroy all of these people and then everything would be great. Like, oh, time out. Let's take a breath, buddy. Deep breath. Inhaler. You know, calm down. Where's the Ridland? They wanted to be the ones to call down fire from heaven to destroy the haters. Incredibly hilarious. Also incredibly disturbing. Like, these people were sleeping at night right next to Jesus. They're arguing back and forth with the other disciples. The Lord only knows the interesting interactions they had as a group. Living together and traveling the countryside for three long years. I'm going to tell you what, one week and I'm done with y'all children. You can have them back. And then I go take a week to sleep and calm my heart. Now, this is something that I've been thinking about, and this is just my own theorization as a former youth pastor. We like to look at Peter, James, and John, and they are, in fact, the inner three, right? They are the three disciples that Jesus always takes with him wherever he goes away from the other disciples. And we like to think, well, then they were the best of the best disciples. Really? The one who's known for stubborn indignance? and the ones that are known for wanting to, like, blow up villages? Those are the good kids? I don't know. And I was thinking about this, and, and, and my, I put on my youth pastor hat for a moment, and it struck me. You know what's happening? Is here you have Jesus, the undisputed leader of the group. He is the adult, right? He is the pastor, the responsible party, Right? And who does Jesus take with him? He takes with him Peter. Historians believe the oldest member of the group. The only other adult in the group. And then who else does Jesus take? The crazy kid. The sons of thunder. It's like, well, Peter, we're going to go. We better, we got to have to one-to-one this mess. Like, which do you want, James or John? You take that one. I'll take this one. We got to keep them in line. If we leave them back here with the other disciples, they are going to burn down Jericho. Promise. Don't want those walls falling again. We got to take them with us. Peter, back up. Like, Peter, look at me, buddy. Look at me, Peter. Can you be an adult today? Like, I need you to act your age. Don't stir them up today. No caffeine, Peter. Chill. What if Jesus is taking Peter and James and John and they're coming with him because they're the trouble kids? I'm going to tell you what. The best leaders I ever brought up as a youth pastor were the most troubled kids. The best leaders were the ones that I had to work hardest to manage. And oftentimes, I think part of the reason for that was that they were constantly right here. Because if they got farther than this, we had a problem. Right with me. So these, these kids have this experience where, where they're constantly with Jesus. It's chaos control, folks. Keeping them attended, not leaving them alone with the broader group. 
So here's what we have. We have these sons of thunder, these chaotic kids who want to destroy a village for not appropriately welcoming them in. These are the kids. When these kind of kids, we got to, and all of our kids, I would say, we've got to bring them to Jesus so we don't send them to Jesus. We got to bring them to Jesus. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. This is what Mama Thunder does. Verse 20 of today's text, Matthew 20. Then the mother of Zebedee, Mother Thunder, came to Jesus with her sons. Mother Thunder brings her sons to Jesus and, and asks him, the request she makes is that Jesus would keep them as close as possible to him as the kingdom is being built. Jesus, keep them close to you. I know my kids. It's like the parent that comes into the classroom and talks to the teacher early on, and I know there's not lots of us, but it's like, listen, if you put my kid in the back of the room, they are going to cause chaos and they are going to fail. Put them right here next to your desk. Please, I don't want you to call me. Like, just do this for me. Like, they will not pay attention if they think you can't see them. Sit them here. Mother Thunder brings her kids to Jesus. Now, the Gospel of Mark indicates that James and John came to Jesus themselves. And we might look at that and say, well, there's an inaccuracy there. The, the, the Gospels aren't, there's no cohesion, there's no consistency in the Gospels. We need to understand something, that in the ancient Near East, that when you wrote a book, especially in the first century, you oftentimes, the, the women didn't take a, a front and center role. The fact that any women are mentioned in important roles throughout the New Testament was, was anomalous. That's what's so revolutionary about Jesus, is Jesus treating people with equality, putting ladies and women in, in positions of leadership, putting them in places where they can do important things, giving them names and, and them having names in the story. But what also is important to understand is that if someone was sent to someone else as an ambassador, if someone came to someone as an advocate, they were seen as a, and they were legally allowed to represent them, then it would, it would often be communicated as them. It's much like the story where the, the father sends, the, the centurion sends his, his representative to Jesus in one text to say, hey, will you come and heal my, my master's daughter? And then in another text, it's the centurion himself that is talking to Jesus. In the Bible, a representative of a person talking on behalf of the, another person is the same as the person themselves speaking. So it is very likely that Mama Thunder went and spoke to Jesus on their behalf. Mama knows what we ourselves need to learn. That the best, most beneficial place for our babies to be is in close proximity to Jesus. There is great value in raising our children in the context of a community of faith. We weren't meant to do it alone. Again, the old adage is true. It takes a village. And having other mature believers, followers of Christ, that they can look at where they can see Jesus, they can see the importance of Christ. I actually had an interesting conversation with a, a youth pastor friend of mine the other day. And he was talking about how uh, praying at meals has kind of come into disfavor because it feels so ritualistic and like it's rote. 
And he made the comment to me. He said, you know, I feel like as a, a pastor of family life, I feel like we are missing something very important in spiritual practices in the home. I was like, that's an interesting thought. Why, why do you feel that way? And he said, well, remember in the Old Testament, they, they cross into the promised land, and God says, hey, put this rock up here so that when you're walking past this rock, your kids will say, hey, why is this pile of rocks here? And you can say to your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, hey, these rocks are here because this is where God did this amazing thing. God was present, and God is still present, and God is still working, and we should follow him. And he said, you know what I feel like for us in the modern day, sometimes us praying at home is like those rocks. It may feel like a pile of nothingness, but it's an important reminder that God is here, that God is God, and that God is for us. And, and it gives us a, a teachable moment, not just to teach our children how to pray, but why they pray. I was like, that's, in, that's, that's a great insight. Our children need to see different rituals, and, and they need to see practices, and they need to see them on a regular basis so that they understand who God is, the transcendence of God, the grace of God, but also the, the presence of God in and for and through us. An FBC family, it is our job to do what we can to help lead the babies in our care, babies, read people to Christ. Not just programmatically, but relationally. The children in our church are the responsibility, listen to me, of all of us. The failure to raise godly children is not exclusively the failure of the family but also the failure of the family of faith. And we, in grace and courage, need to come alongside our families, to come alongside mothers, grandmothers, fathers, uncles, aunts. And we need to act in, in appropriate mentor relationships with these children to move them to and to help them see and experience Christ. This needs to be a place, and we need to be a people through which others experience the presence of the risen Christ and grow in relationship with him. We must lead our children to Jesus. It's what we see Mama Thunder doing here, and she does so in a thunderous, bold way. She comes rolling into Jesus dragging her babies with her. And she says, hey, Jesus, I want this one on your right, and I want this one on your left in your kingdom. She boldly comes to Jesus. Now, there are those that want to question whether or not Mama Thunder was right in what she did, and I think she absolutely was right. It is right to humbly act as advocates for kids in our care. I would go a step further. Not as it, is it only right to act, humbly act as advocates for kids in our care. It is our responsibility to act as advocates for the kids in our care. And some of the most important work that we will do raising children will not be done with what we do for them, but what we do on our knees. Look what Mama Thunder does. Verse 20, second half. 
says she came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. You know, there's lots of ways we could take this. I like to think she's like, Jesus, please do something with them because you're their best and only hope. You do something with them because you know I can't. If our children are to be and do all that God has for them, it won't just happen through great effort and force of will on our part, but through the favor of God. To quote another artist, we got to throw our hands up and say, Jesus, take the wheel. And let Jesus take the wheel of the lives of our children. Now, we, that's hard for us because we have visions and plans for our children. We have things we want them to accomplish, and that's okay. Things we want them to do. Gifts that we see in them. Experiences that we hope for them, and that too is okay. But, but we, we run into a problem when we, we see God moving them a certain direction. We're like, oh, no, 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 no. Let's bring you back over here. Like when I'm riding with one of my kids and they're learning how to drive and we're driving down the road and I feel like they're creeping just a little bit too far left. I'm like, hey, let me help you there. You know, bring it over here a little bit. Sometimes Jesus is the one driving and we see where they're going. And I tell you this because I've seen it. And we're like, ah, I don't know about that, Lord. Like you, you want them to be a pastor? Like pastors don't. Pastors don't, everybody wants their kid to be a pastor or a missionary until they realize, one, that their kid's going overseas and their kid's not going to make any money. And then they're like, eh, how about we get a backup plan for that? Let's, let's come over here. Or perhaps we feel like our children have the wheel and they are driving out of control and we'd love to grab the wheel from the hands of our children, but we can't anymore. What do we do? What, what did Mama Thunder do? She called out, for God's favor. Are you out of patience with a child in your life? And when I say child, I'm not talking children. I'm talking sometimes children. Are you out of patience? Call out for God's favor. Have you done all that you can and feel like you've run out of ideas and options? Call out for God's favor. Do you want the best for your children? Call out for God's favor. But you know, again, what's good for the goose, what's good for the gander, excuse me, is good for the goose. Do, do you have struggles in your life because of your children? Do you have struggles in your life just as you're trying to raise them? Call out for God's favor. Now, I want to make a note here, and I want us to be very careful. Because God's favor doesn't necessarily mean what the world presents as favor. It doesn't mean that everything is going to get easy. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be fun. It doesn't mean success and prosperity and position. We'll talk about that again in a moment. But understand this, there is nothing wrong with wanting our babies to do and be something great with their lives, particularly for and in the kingdom of God. Mama Thunder wants her babies to be put in positions to do something powerful for the kingdom come. This is actually a really big ask. 
This is a really big ask. She makes an audacious ask. She wants her boys to be the right and left-hand men of Jesus. Now, we talked about this last year with Mark, but I'll remind you, this is akin, this is akin to asking a presidential candidate, whom you know is probably going to win, if your sons can be the vice president and the speaker of the house in the new administration when they come into power. Important leaders that control the direction and the development of what's coming. And you've got to admit, there's a, a strong possibility that the sons of thunder who want to pull the trigger want some of this. They want to be in on the action. They don't want someone calling fire from the heaven if it ain't them. And there's nothing wrong with it. I don't believe that she was wrong in coming to Jesus with this, to ask big of God. God, I pray that you would do this big thing in my children's lives. I don't know that that was wrong. But we need to remember our place and theirs. She comes on her knees, humbly asking Jesus for the desires of her heart. When we come to Christ on our knees, when we pray out, when we call out to him, we are recognizing his position as Lord and God and his right to do as he wills. It is his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And so while we may ask for what we want, we need to understand and accept what will come according to his plan and purpose. But it's not wrong to approach God's throne. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, this is Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, I think about this even from the terms of parenting. Jesus walked for three years with these men. Think about all the things he experienced with them. Constantly they are bickering on the road. Right? Jesus had those moments when you're in the car and your kids are going at it. Mama, and you have to turn around and say, don't make me pull this car over. Jesus had that experience. You, you, you feel like your kid is, is fighting you and constantly being adversarially, adversarial and denying what you want. Jesus had Peter. Denying him not once, not twice, three times. Even feeling lost, Jesus lost Judas. Jesus, Jesus loved Judas. Make no mistake. That, that Judas, it's not Judas ran off and betrayed Jesus, and Jesus is like, well, you know what? Forget you, Judas. I believe that that grieved the heart of God. And that Jesus felt that loss deeply in his spirit. We need to understand that from the front of the proverbial class to the kid in the corner, all are present by the grace of God and for his service. All have a purpose, and God has a plan for each of them. If we want the best for them, we need to make it about him, about Christ. We need to bring our babies boldly to Jesus 
advocating humbly before the Lord on their behalf. But I also want to caution you. Understand what you're asking for. Understand what you're asking for. When we bring our babies to Christ and we say we want them to grow in, in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, making Christ their Lord means that Christ has control. That the decision is his. And that we will ultimately trust him to do what is best for them and for his glory. And we need to understand that when we come to God for his favor, that God's favor doesn't work like ours. That God's kingdom doesn't look like ours. Christ's kingdom is not about power and position, but about sacrifice and service. When we bring our children to Christ, we are offering them as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable. Jesus asked Mama Thunder, do you know what you're asking for? And it is in a form of a question, but it's rhetorical. You don't. You don't know what you're asking me for. Throughout the Bible, drinking the cup refers to divine wrath and judgment. And Jesus is asking if they're willing to suffer and die for his kingdom that's to come. Undoubtedly, they are doing the calculus and the boys, of course, say, oh yeah, like we're ready. They're assuming that the rewards, earthly, will be worth the risks, which they will. The rewards will be worth the risks, but maybe not in this life. Verse 22. So Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they say, we can. They're ready to... To literally charge the gates of hell for Jesus. You got to think that they probably believe that if they die, Jesus just raised them up. They saw Lazarus. We'll be okay. Like, we might die, but we'll get better. But what must the mother of thunder have been thinking at this moment? I, I want my sons to serve you, but this, this is sounding like more than I'm asking for right now. Like, I was thinking position, power, prestige, and you're telling me suffering, sacrifice, and maybe even death. Everyone wants their kids to come to Christ until they realize it's going to cost them. Abraham paints the picture that we need in this moment. Who brings his child to the altar and lays his child on the altar, willing to fully give him to the glory of God. They, like us, are to serve as living sacrifices. Verse 23, Jesus says to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for my Father. Christ may not give us exactly what we ask for, but whatever sacrifice is required for his service, is worth it. Ask away, then trust him with the outcome. And this is what we need to understand as we come to Christ with our children, as we bring those in our care to Christ, as we try and, and, and struggle and labor with our kids at home. Moms, the goal is not to raise good kids, but to raise kids who look and act like Jesus. 
Our goals are properly oriented. Are our goals properly oriented as parents, as mentors, as family and friends? Again, power, prestige, position, and prosperity. Those are the metrics of success for the world. Those are the world's priorities. Sacrifice, service, and selflessness. These are the hallmarks of the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ. And they are what we see in the lives of the disciples as they act as his witnesses. You know what I think is really interesting, and I didn't think about it until I was studying it this week. Jesus tells them, you will indeed. Can you drink the cup? Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they, of course, say, oh, sure we can. You know what happens to James and John, whom Mother Thunder brings to Jesus? They do go out with different bangs. You know, James is the first martyr following Christ's ascension. He actually becomes a sacrifice for Christ. But John, John lives into old age, writes a good portion of the New Testament. You know what I think is incredibly interesting about the grace and power of God in his life is that John starts out with James as one of the two sons of thunder. And Mama Thunder brings them to Jesus and says, Jesus, please, show your favor to these boys of mine. Give them position and a part in your kingdom. You know what John ends as? We don't remember John at the end of his life as this thunderous man. You know what we remember him as? The apostle that Christ loved. The disciple that Christ loved. He is known as the apostle of love. Same, same John, son of thunder, wrote 1 John. He's known for grace, for compassion. And the same John is the one that says, hey, look, we, 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 we need to understand that Christ died for our sins, but not only for ours, but for the sins of the world. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what's going on in your families or what's going on in the lives of your children, but understand this. If God can take the son of thunder and turn him into the apostle of love, then God can do an amazing work in the hearts and minds of your children. That Christ is in the business of transformation. And it may not happen in the timing that we want. It may not happen in the way that we want. And mothers, I know that many of you carry broken hearts. And you cry out to God on a regular basis. And mama, keep praying. Keep calling to the Lord. Understand that Christ loves them more than you ever could. And brothers and sisters, may we come alongside these mothers and may we lift up and hold up their arms as Aaron and Hur held up the arms of Moses and may we, we do the best that we can to love these, these children, whether they are the best and the brightest or they are difficult. Because here's the truth that we need to understand. If we want to raise children that make a thunderous impact in the world, we need to be mothers and fathers of thunder. 
people who are willing to boldly but humbly come before the Lord and present our children and our people to God and say, God, do what you will with them. Do what you can with them. We give them to you as sacrifices, and we ask that you would give us the strength to continually point them to you, to continually bring them to you, to continually entrust them to your care. God, Jesus, do what you alone can, you, can do with them. Here's the thing about sons and daughters of thunder. They often make a thunderous impact that continues to roll throughout the ages. May we be mothers of thunder. May we raise children of thunder that boldly, courageously, stand before the throne of grace and call out to God for his favor and then graciously and humbly accept his will and courageously follow where he leads whether that leads to long life and a successful writing career or sacrifice via the sword God may you work and move in our hearts Lord may you bring healing where it's needed Lord, may you soften our hearts today. May you give us the humility and grace to offer forgiveness. May you give us the strength and courage to offer discipline. May you give us the hope to reach out to you and to trust you Lord, may you reveal yourself to us and through us. May you draw us forward. May you help us to be a people who constantly lead our children and show them Jesus through our lives. May we raise babies that look like Christ. May we boldly advocate them for them from our knees, understanding that victory in their lives will come through your power and presence according to your purpose and plan. And may you give us the strength to accept it in Jesus' name.